Uh, we have made it to the last chapter in the book of Hebrews. All right, Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, uh, what you can tell literally from the scripture reading is that things get uh, a little weird real quick. Okay? Uh, I've heard chapter 13 by other preachers describe it this way. The author of Hebrews took a two-hour conversation and tried to get it in before his cell phone battery died. Right? Um, it is a laundry list of random uh, things that don't necessarily seem to tie together. It's a little rapid fire. Right? So it's uh, be hospitable to strangers and visit those in prison and guard your marriage. Don't love money. Watch out for the tabernacle. Uh, grace alone. Let's go outside of the camp together. Let's submit to our leaders. It's like, what on earth is going on here? And so uh, instead of doing all of that this morning, we're actually going to break this up and walk through it through the remainder of June, all right? So uh, we've got about 10 different little two-line sermons in this final chapter, and I just don't think we'd be doing it justice if we crammed it all into one message. So, uh, so here's kind of just the brief overview. Here is the goal of chapter 13. For you and I, for those of us that are in Christ, the author of Hebrews is going to address how we are to interact with those outside of our faith and how we are to relate to those inside of our faith, okay? Now, uh, a little before we jump into that, I know that we've had this conversation before, and I feel like pastors do this on a regular basis, but uh, when the original scriptures were put together, it was a collection of letters, okay? Uh, And so chapter and verse numbers were not originally a part of the documentation that people took and put together to create the Bible, okay? Uh, And so that went in in a much later date. Like you would not write a Christmas letter to somebody and be like, chapter one, grace and peace to you, Fred. 2020 was horrible. Chapter two, right? You don't do that when you write a letter. And so the authors didn't do that in here either. In fact, I was like, when did this all come to be? So here's your random history lesson for the day. Uh, In 1227, a man by the name of Stephen Langton, he was an archbishop of Canterbury, developed a chapter system for the Bible. And it wasn't until 1382 when the Wycliffe English Bible was released and published that Bibles had chapter divisions in it. So for more than 1,300 years, people were reading the scriptures without having a particular way of breaking it down and making things easier to access, and it wasn't until the 1550s that verse numbers were added. Now, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because in order for us to jump into chapter 13, we actually need to go back into chapter 12. Because when you're reading this as a letter, it flows, but when you read it as a book with chapters, things start to get broken up. All right, and so this is where Brad was at last week in Hebrews 12, 28. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Okay, and this runs into where we are. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves are suffering. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. How? By loving one another as brothers and sisters. That's where it starts. Loving one another as brothers and sisters. The English Standard Version or the the ESV translation reads it this way. Let brotherly love continue. 
How many of you guys know, here in the United States, there is a city, it's in the state of Pennsylvania, that is known as the city of brotherly love. What is that? Philadelphia. Good job. You all know Greek without even knowing that you know it, okay? Uh, Philadelphia is the Greek term for brotherly love. To us, we're like, oh, brothers and sisters, we're familiar with this, we're used to this. To the original recipients, this was like a brand new idea. Because in the old covenant, there was a very sharp distinction between the chosen nation of Israel and everyone else. So when they went to the temple, the only way that you got into the temple courts was by being Jewish. Nobody else was in there. And the only person to go into the temple and, and perform things was a high priest who himself was Jew. People outside of the nation of Israel. Let brotherly love continue to love fellow believers as brothers and sisters. The church, you and I, we are to love each other as brothers and sisters. And what makes us that? It's our faith in Jesus. Point blank, it's our faith in Jesus. Galatians 3.26, it says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, the people in this room are your brothers and sisters. I had two sisters growing up, which means I had three moms. My oldest sister, Jen, she's 12 years older than me. She went to college when I So uh, I very much remember a childhood where she was involved, but for most of my childhood, she was at college, she was out, she had different jobs, she moved to Minneapolis. Like, I did not grow up with her in the home in the way that I grew up with my middle sister, Sarah. She's only four years older than I am. We fought a lot. She started it and I ended it. Go figure, right? Which means I always got in trouble and she walked away. Brothers and sisters... We're to love each other in that capacity. When you fight, you forgive. When you don't get along, you work it out. Because you're family. It matters. Love each other so well in this space because of what's coming. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Let Philadelphia continue, right? Let brotherly love continue and do not neglect to Philizania to show love to strangers. The author's saying love in a way that starts in here and it fills so high that it can't help but spill out into the streets. You know, in the ancient world, when this was written, there was no such thing as overnight hotels, right? They had inns. Uh, we think of, oh, cool, well, you just go on Priceline and book a hotel. Didn't exist, obviously. Inns weren't exactly reputable places that you would want to go with your family, and it was incredibly expensive. And so in the Jewish world, in the early Christian church world, and uh, in the major just kind of Greco-Roman uh, world, it was expensive to find a place to stay. And so literally you would go to somebody's home and you would knock on their door and you'd say, do you have room for me to stay? Could you imagine that? Like you're sitting on your couch watching Wheel of Fortune and eating a pot pie, right? And somebody's like knocking on your door. They're like, hey, that was loud, I'm sorry. You got somewhere for me to stay? No. Who are you? 
right? Like, you're creepy. Get out of here. You know, in America, we view our homes as our own castles. We do, right? They are the castle to our kingdom. We have rooms for all of our stuff. In fact, we have a master bedroom. And inside of our master bedroom, we have a bed that's either king size or queen size. We have certain items on display that are important to us, and we spend countless hours manicuring the yard, a.k.a. our castle gardens. We put up privacy fences, a.k.a. walls around our kingdom so others can't get in. Our goal is to build a safe place where we can just walk in and shut out all of the difficulty out there. I'm guilty of this. I love my house. You know, as Taylor and I uh, were going through the process of becoming licensed foster parents, I remember talking to people and they're like, what's the scariest thing about entering this to you? And I said, I feel like I'm about to invite hell into my home. And I'm like, I'm going to have agency workers literally coming and going into my home whenever they choose to show up. Asking to tickle arms work, can we make sure that you have all this documentation? Can you give us a log on the medication that you gave the kid for the last month? Hey, we need to meet to talk about this. I was inviting somebody else's legal battle into my home. Inviting drama of biological parents and all the tension that comes with that into my home. And then you get to the point where you're parenting a hurting kid. But I'll tell you this. We tend to use the word safe when we really mean comfortable. Because my house is no less safe than it was, but it sure as heck isn't as comfortable. Entertain strangers. Because you may entertain an angel without knowing it. And over the last couple of decades, there's been uh, a pretty predominant model of ministry called the attractional model of ministry. For a lot of you, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. I'll get, I'll get there, right? But the goal was that churches would design their Sunday services, their uh, experiences, their guest uh, services, their whole process of what they do around individuals that were not followers of Jesus. And another aspect of this is that churches began to build coffee shops and gyms and movie theaters and bowling alleys that were these kind of Christian institutions where non-Christians could come and hear about Jesus while doing activities they would normally do elsewhere. And I'm not going to like dog on this model because a lot of people came to Jesus through this, but at the same time it created a Christian bubble culture. It created a culture where Christians needed to stay with Christians in Christian places so that they could do Christian things and so that we could all be Christians together. That wasn't the goal. We've got to stay safe, right? We've got to, we've got to pull back. We can't get involved out there. We're going to stay safe in here while all the gross, dirty sinners are out there because if I interact with them, they're going to rub their gross, dirty sin on me. That's not how it works. The author of Hebrews says, don't just interact with strangers. Bring them into your home and cook them something. Bring them into your home and cook them something. Guys, the end goal of discipleship, it's mission. A disciple is somebody who is following Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who's on mission for Jesus. The end goal 
of discipleship is mission. What is mission? People. People far from God. This means engaging the world around you. And I see way too many bored Christians. I'm going to let you in on a secret, man. Church is more than a few songs and a religious lecture one time a week. It is. It's a mission. It's people. And the opportunities are endless. You bored? We can get uncomfortable real quick. I was visiting a friend of mine right before, actually, right before a little girl moved into my house. And uh, he said, man, he's like, I don't know how to get our church involved in our community. And I looked at him, I said, dude, find something that's broken and go do something about it. He just kind of looked at me like, uh, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. We overthink this so much. It's time to get uncomfortable, man. It's time to do something that stretches you. Here's the deal. You can't be bored and nervous at the same time. This is going to be an incredibly unpopular opinion, but here we go. The church was not created for you and I to be served. The need of its members. And I'm aware that most of us have been free tenants. It says the church is a tool in the hand of God to make known his manifest wisdom to the world. We are a mission and he used to do it. We aren't here to cater to you. We're on a mission. You know, does this mean that we shouldn't care for each other? Absolutely not, right? Love your brothers and your sisters. How much? Love them so much that it literally spills out into the community. We still care about each other, but we aren't here to cater to you and your preferences. You know, as a pastor that really works with technology, I mean, that's one of the primary things I do, right? Getting live streaming up last year was a big part of my job. And so uh, talking to other people that were trying to get their churches online, listening to pastors talk about how many people in their congregations were leaving during 2020 due to various reasons, just made me sad. The number of small churches who uh, struggled to really get uh, services online so that their people could attend, the number of people that left because they went to a church that had a higher production value. Oh, well, their music, it fits my taste far more. I found a preacher that's way more engaging. How gross is that? Well, I'm going to go find a church that sticks with my political stance. I'm sick of listening to you talk about social justice, or you don't talk about social justice enough. I'm going to go find somewhere else. You're telling me if I come in person, I have to wear a mask or I don't have to wear a mask? Like, what the heck? I'm going to go somewhere else. Man, the number of people that, man, none of these things have to do with Jesus or the expansion of his kingdom. None of them. They have to do with personal preference and a belief that the church exists to serve them. This isn't the mission of the church. You know who deserved to be served? Who should have gotten his way? Who had every right to make things about himself? It was Jesus. And you know what he did? 
He got on his hands and knees and he washed feet. He fed those who were hungry. He visited those who were sick. He spent time with the castaways and the rejects. He hung on a cross for us all, other people. For other people. Man, I could preach on this all day. Just a little foreshadowing. This summer we're going to be walking through the book of Jonah. And it's not about a fish. It's about a relentless God and a resentful prophet. It's about a God that would do anything involving sending a fish to swallow a man. Why? For the good of people. Namely a nation called the Ninevites. And in the book of Jonah, it says that Jonah received this call from God to go to Nineveh. And upon hearing it, he jumped on a ship to Tarshish, which was in the complete opposite personal preference, starts interceding before. You're going to make it about you, or are you going to make it about the good of other people? It's going to be a long five weeks, just warning you. I'm excited, though. Remember strangers. We're still in verse 2. I don't know how we're going to make it all the way through, right? Remember strangers and show them hospitality. How many of you guys know your neighbors? Like, how many of you know your neighbors? You know their names, you know youth group one night, and we're sitting in our small group, and we're talking about doing uncomfortable things, and the goal was, we're you're going to have to do this, right? And so uh, I said, I'm going to go introduce myself to my neighbors. Just bought my house. I'm going to go introduce myself to my neighbors. So we're at the house, and I grabbed Taylor, and I said, hey, he's out in his front yard. Let's go, let's go introduce ourselves. So we walk into this dude's front yard, and he's doing yard work, and he doesn't look up. He just keeps cutting. It was way more awkward than this. I'm like, excuse me. Doesn't look at me. What can I do for you? Well, my name's Craig. This is my wife, Taylor. We just bought the house next door, and I just wanted to come over and introduce myself to you. And he put his shears down, and he turns around, and he says, I'm going to be honest. I don't like people that live in that house. <laughs> Not what I expected, right? <laughs> so I'm standing there, I'm like, well, I'm a pastor here in the community, and my wife is a teacher, and we're not going anywhere. And that was it. We walked back into our yard, and he kept doing his yard work. And for three years, three years, anytime he walked out of his house and saw that I was in my yard, he turned and went the other way. And every time I walked out into my yard and I saw him, uh, I acted like the little girl in my house, and I stopped and I just stared at him <laughs> with a smile. Most of the time, there was no eye contact, so I was just creepily staring at this dude, and he had no idea. Three years. Until one day, last summer, my wife and I uh, were doing some yard work of our own in our front yard, and uh, Taylor went to the store, and she bought a whole flat of flowers, and she planted them, and she gets done, and she's like, oh, we still have like a whole 
like a half a flat of flowers. Like, what am I going to do with these? I'm like, well, I'll reach out to our friends and see if they want them. So she did. And everybody was like, no, I'm good. So we have this half flat of flowers, and we see him out in his yard, and the dude's got a nice yard. Like, he's into plants and flowers and all that stuff. And Taylor's like, I'm going to go see if he wants them. So cool. So she walks over and uh, starts talking to him and says, hey, we've got these flowers. We'd love to give them to you. And he's like, oh, no, I can't take those. And his wife comes out and she's like, well, let me go get some money. And Taylor's like, no, 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 no. Like, just have them. She's like, no, like, I want to pay you. Taylor's like, you're not paying me. Just take the flowers. Like, have them. They're like, okay, okay. That was a Saturday. The next day, we came here to church. We get home. There's a pot with different colored flowers on our front porch and a card that says, thank you from your neighbors. It took three years for that to happen. So I'm like, all right, we're going somewhere, right? The next day I go outside and I realize my cat is in his backyard. Hmm. So I walk over and I'm like, dude, I am so sorry about my cat. Like, let me get her, get her back inside. I'm so sorry if she's done any damage. And he's like, I love your cat. I'm like, no way. He's like, she's my little doll baby. I love her. She's welcome over here any day. No way. So I pick up my cat and I go back home and a couple of weeks later, Taylor and I went out on a bike ride. I know, me and bikes. <laughs> Still a thing. We got home from a bike ride. We're putting our bikes in the shed, and he's standing at the fence in our, the backyard, the, the fence that splits between our yards, and he's standing there, and he said, hey, I need to talk to you guys. And so we go over, and he's like, I really need to apologize. And so I moved in, and I'm like, hey, I'm your new neighbor. Just want to introduce myself. He's just seeing baggage. We sat there and we talked about the history of the neighborhood and how long he's been living there. And we talked about all sorts of stuff. And then Taylor and I said, you know, we're, we're actually going through the process to become foster parents. So you're going to see a kid in our yard. And he's like, man, you know, if a ball ever comes over the fence, just come and knock on my door. So I can do that. They were one of the first people that showed up at our house after a little girl moved into our house with a Colts blanket, excited to meet their newest neighbor. Do you know what it took? Three years of consistent living, half a flat of flowers, and my cat. <laughs> That's right. Big old Craig with his axes up here owns a little kitty cat. That's right. And Jesus is using it. Show hospitality to strangers. Because you might be entertaining angels and you don't even know it. Guys, love your brothers and your sisters well. But don't forget to pay attention to strangers. This requires initiative. It would have been so easy for me to never pursue my neighbor. But I went to a bunch of junior-aged high school boys and said I was going to get uncomfortable and introduce myself. And then that neighbor gave me the easiest way out. 
He did. I didn't have to do anything from that point forward. I had no expectations to live up to. He already hated me. But this life isn't about me. That neighborhood isn't about me. Hospitality, joyfully seeking to bring that person refreshment. Sometimes it's food, sometimes it's flowers, sometimes it's your cat. Gosh, showing hospitality, it's a type of sacrament. It is, just like taking communion, just like getting baptized. Showing hospitality, it's a direct way to love Jesus. Verse 3. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. Those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now prison uh, at this point in history is a little bit different. It served a different purpose uh, than prison does today. So if you went to prison in ancient Rome, uh, you were typically there awaiting your sentence. Or you owed somebody money and you were literally thrown in until you could pay off your debt. Today, prison is your long-term sentence. In Rome, your long-term sentence was either uh, being sold into slavery or dying. So when you were put into prison, uh, Rome was like, it's not our responsibility to feed you. It's our responsibility to hold you and to prosecute you. Whose responsibility was it to take care of people in prison? They're friends and family, right? You're in prison, you wanna eat? I better go take you food. You're in prison. You stink. I'm going to bring you stuff to wash yourself with. You're in prison. I'm going to bring you clothes. Remember those in prison as if you were there with them. I don't know how many of you realize this, but we have a team of about eight to ten people from our church that go into the Shelby County Jail on a regular basis. And the reality is that there's people in the Shelby County Jail that are asking for Bibles. There are people in the Shelby County Jail that are coming to Christ and becoming believers. There are people in the Shelby County Jail that are baptized left and right. It's nutty. Because some folks from our church have chosen to remember those in prison as if they were there with them. Yeah, well, those are bad people that did bad things. They're there because they deserve it. Here's the reality. All of us are sinners. Their sins got them arrested. Your sins are socially acceptable. We're not that different. Remember those in prison as if you were there with them. The author goes on. Persecution, man, something that most of us have never experienced. And I'm aware last year we couldn't meet in person for a period of time, but I couldn't go to the state fair and I couldn't go to the movies and I wasn't persecuted for those things, so stop talking about persecution of us not being able to gather in person. Have you ever been beat up for your faith? Have you ever been killed for your faith? Have you ever been arrested for your faith? Have you ever had economic hardship because of your faith? That's persecution. And that happens all around the globe and so when we scream persecution for such dumb things, what a shame to the people that actually are suffering. 
You know what's crazy is that a lot of scholars believe this letter to the Hebrews was actually written in the year 63 or 64 AD. And in the year 64 AD, the emperor of Rome, his name was Nero, lit two-thirds of the city of Rome on fire, and it was completely destroyed, and then he blamed it on Christians for doing it. And it began the largest persecution of the early church. Did that happen to you this year? No, but it's happening globally. Remember those that are suffering. Remember those that are being persecuted. Remember those that are suffering as if you are suffering with them. The author is telling his readers to remember those who are being mistreated. Have a heart towards those facing injustice. You bored with church? Go to the jail. Seriously, if you're bored with all of this, walk into the jail and listen to the doors clanking behind you. You're not going to feel boredom in your heart. You're going to start shaking a little bit. Man, people matter. People matter way too much. You know, last summer we taught through a series called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And one of the weeks that I taught, I got up here and I said, serve the poor or go to hell. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is talking about our family. He's talking about taking care of your brothers and sisters. And the author of Hebrews is taking that idea one step further and saying, don't just do it for the church, do it for people. Do it for everybody. Love people. Lay yourself down for the benefit of people. Because you might be serving angels and you don't even know it. This is where things take a left turn. Verse four, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. In the Greco-Roman world, marriage was under attack from two different perspectives. The first was that uh, monogamy in marriage, that it was unrealistic, that men should have mistresses. This was commonplace, common culture. I don't know if you've read the books to the Corinthians, but they were pretty wild. You know, we tend to look at uh, history and we're like, man, we've gotten so bad. Look at them. Right? Uh, this first thing is saying, you know what, it's not fair that once you get married that you should only have one person that you're sleeping with. You should be able to go out and do whatever you want. And then on the other hand, you've got people in the church that are saying, you know what, it's actually bad for you to get married because you're not going to be able to devote yourself fully to Jesus because you're going to have this other person that you're pouring yourself into. So you've got one half saying, we shouldn't have to do it this way. And you've got the other half saying, don't do it at all, it's wrong. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 no. Honor marriage. Honor it. That means respect it. It means uh, attributing preciousness to it. In the marriage bed, sex. Honor marriage and keep the marriage bed pure. 
Adultery, right? If you're married and you engage in sexual activity outside of your spouse, or the sexually immoral, if you engage in sexual activity with someone that you're not married to, right? This covers the entire gamut of sexual sin. Not calling out one. Oh, that one's dirty, but that one's okay. Saying all of it. Bad news. I'm not going to jump into verse 5 because I've kept you here long enough, and Brad's going to teach on this, but it's talking about money, contentment, materialism, pursuing things. The author of Hebrews is saying, here, guys, you want to live differently than the world. You want to stand out as being marked by Christ. Love people well, take serious your marriage, and don't love money. Guys, it's 2021 what do we tend to see culture as being all about? Ourselves, sex, and money. It's not so different. It's not so different. How do you engage with people? You love them well. You love your brothers and your sisters and you love strangers and you serve them well. It's wrong to pursue it. This letter was written to believers 2,000 years ago. It's just as relevant today as it was then. Man, may we be a church that takes serious this call. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter to the Hebrews. Thank you for the author and their heart in this. And I pray that as a church that we would be receptive of the call to love people well. I pray that we would be a church that cares deeply for our brothers and sister and that it spills out into the streets. I pray that we would live our lives for the good of other people, not for our own self-interest. Father, I ask that you would challenge each and every one of us to look into our hearts. You would help us identify the areas that we're pursuing ourselves and not you. And Father, I ask that you would encourage us to get uncomfortable this week. That you would prompt us and point us to people that we can love well. And I pray that we would take serious the call to respect marriage, that we pursue sexual purity, and that through these things, the community would see that we are different. And that through that, people would crave to have a life with you. ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.